This is Weird Religion, a podcast for people who know religion is weird but love it anyway. My name is Brian Doak. I'm a professor and biblical scholar. And confession, I haven't watched Avengers Endgame, and I'm probably not going to. (laughs) My name is Leah Payne. I'm a historian, author, professor, and newswoman Lois Lane is the best character in the DC universe. No argument here. (laughs) We're back with another news roundup. Yep. Brian and I attack each other with weird religious news stories. Attack? Yeah, surprise attack. We're going to comment on the religion angle of our favorite news happenings. Every story has a religion angle. Especially these, and you know that's true. Join us. Join us. All right. So, how does the news game work? Let's remind. This is only our second installment in this. we got to remind everyone. experimenting with this new genre. we got to remind everyone how it works. We are going to attack each other with news stories. Yep, yep. <laughs> Religion-themed news stories. Just gonna throw news stories. Just at the toss them, and then comment. It's like care to comment style is mm-hmm, what it is. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I okay. Confession first, and and request for permission from the co-host. Mm-hmm. I have stretched the definition a little bit of like a news story in that some of these are more like op-ed or they could have a religion angle, but it's like we got we might have to you know explain what that angle oh, is. Oh yeah, that's is that true. Okay? I've chosen a couple op-eds too. Okay, so it's like it doesn't have to be like breaking news, but it's something in the news. Yes, X religion group just announced da da da. I mean, some of these are like that. But sure, some sure, of them, sure, sure. So okay. it, it, it's just definitely going to maintain its current eventsy sort of zeitgeisty feel it has to that's what makes this work yes but some of these like lean into that less as into like just perennial favorites let's just say yes yes but they're all recent things yes yes okay do you want to go first or should i go first um yeah i'll go first i'll go first okay i've got one all right i'm ready this is the headline all right was mother Teresa a cult leader oh where's that from this is an op-ed in the new york times really yes and i found it really on this fun news roundup website that I follow called Get Religion, oh. which wherein re- religion journalists um, talk about how so many times in like news stories, yeah, there's a lot of examples of how reporters who don't who aren't on the religion beat don't understand like nuance when it comes to of religion. course, of course. So um, I think the the person who wrote this kind of analysis of the op ed is. Um, Clement Lisi, mm-hmm. and I think that's how you. With an it. eternal apology to all authors whose names we mispronounce. Yeah, I'm really sorry <laughs> if I do, but um, I, I think that this this op-ed is um really interesting because basically they frame Mother Teresa and her very very famous, um, her her very famous like sisterhood enterprise. Yeah. As um, in the same vein as Nexium and as well. Wild Wild Country, the Rajneeshis, basically. Um, so what is interesting to me is if you can you frame the asceticism mm-hmm. of Mother Teresa mm-hmm. as a form of psychological and physical abuse? Care to comment? Oh, I, Dr. Oh, Brian Doak. Okay. You know, I, at fir- my first reaction was like, no. Second reaction, I was like, wait, maybe there are prejudices that we have about certain people and the kind of mm, organizational mm-hmm. structures we think they should belong to. And it just goes to point out that the way we use the word cult is, way of course, back. first episode we a, ever had. It's, of course, pejorative, right? And so when you hear it, you're like, 
you want to use it as a term like the way some people use the term liberal or fundamentalist, let's say, yes. to paint someone in a particular way. But if one were to strip away those those colors, those shades, that framing, and just merely talk about organizational structure, effect, the kinds of things that, say, religious studies scholars would talk about, yeah. maybe it would classify as a, quote, cult if one were using that term in the way that a religion scholar would use it. But then, number three, I was like, okay, abuse, though. Like, Nexium was sex trafficking. Well, Wild Wild Country, tried to kill people. They tried to kill people. I was not aware that Mother Teresa's group engaged in sex trafficking, <laughs> abuse, or trying to Attempted kill people. Attempted murder. But, but did they? Well, that's what that's what's really interesting. <laughs> I mean, I what I thought it would all hinge on that. I could go there, but I just don't. I don't know if that's true. What I thought was fascinating about it is how othering, mm -hmm. like ideas about asceticism, are. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, a quote from the article says they were expected to flog themselves regularly a practice called the discipline oh. and were allowed to to leave to visit their families only once every 10 years mm -hmm. which i thought was really interesting this and also there's another line um the former sisters describe an obsession with chastity so intense that any physical human contact or friendship was prohibited um and and so what i thought was i mean this so the op-ed is about um, a podcast, and as I understand it, it is a podcast uh, um, that profiles people who left and like disaffected former um, sisters. Uh -huh. But what is fascinating to me is like is the non um, is the lens through which we view ascetic practices. Mm -hmm. It, it, like it immediately is just so I, yes, I see what you're saying. Like horrifying. It has to of. be pathologized in some way very quickly in order for it to be understood by people who don't understand ascetic practice. Right. right. And I, I think, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I see a, an appeal to certain forms of asceticism mm -hmm. that seem almost like not present in this piece at all. Yeah. That's fascinating. Wow. That, I didn't think it was going to get so 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 hard right away. We went there. We went there. <laughs> okay, I got to bring it back. Okay, okay. Um okay, here we go. Yes. My first one. I, I don't know why I'm choosing this one first. I shouldn't cuz this was the one that made me the most mad just just seeing the headline and looking uh -huh. at the picture. Uh-huh. Um do you by the way, do you know who Rachel Hollis is? Of course, I know who Rachel Hollis is. This was from Medium. How can you? Ask this was from that? one of the writers who's cataloged on Medium. Medium is an aggregator of stories that I've just subscribed oh, to. Nice. Medium sponsor mm -hmm. us. Sponsor. Um, and I love it because um, I like quick reads. Oh, nice. The headline. It's kind of an, an op-ed, but apparently it harks back to a certain kind of drama, which I will describe. Namely, the Rachel Hollis drama is why I don't trust influencers. Girl, check your privilege. Girl. And it's got a picture of. Rachel yeah. Hollis. Now, Rachel Hollis, in case you don't know, is an American author, motivational speaker, and blogger, yep. according to her Wikipedia page. Yes, she um, is. She faced backlash in 2021 after posting a controversial TikTok video. The New York Times subsequently ran a story about her entitled, Girl, Wash Your Timeline. <sighs> I have followed this story with great interest. Oh, tell us about it. Yes. So, Rachel Hollis 
one of the things that I think is fascinating about Rachel Hollis is, as you know, I'm really interested in women religious leaders mm-hmm. who operate outside of traditional oh, yeah. forms of authority. This is one of our favorite topics on the show. It comes up sporadically. I bring time. it up yep. what regardless of whether or not we're interested in talking about <laughs> it. Poor Brian. But no, I like it too. I, I feel sort of on the outside, like if I'm criticizing, then it's like a man criticizing women and I'm like ha! <laughs> <laughs> I was out there on the ice, now I gotta go back. You take you it do. over. You, you, you do great. You do great. But no, she's really interesting because she's the daughter, as I understand it, she's the daughter of Pentecostal preachers. Who isn't? Everybody's the daughter of yeah, Pentecostals. Yeah, I mean, she's I am. Famous. Yeah, It's just everybody. like, what is it about that background? <laughs> All the best people. Oh, I could take Katy Perry. propels people into- The Jonas Brothers. What, what is it that propels? It's 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 the the, the drama, the, the the mystery, the- Andre Crouch. I'm, yeah. I could go on and on okay. forever. Yeah, uh, I think I, I'm pretty sure he was the- the son. I know he was raised in Pentecostalism. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, but yeah, well, I think it's because it's like of all all forms of American Protestantism, I think Pentecostals have the longest track record and probably the most successful track record when it comes to promoting celebrity. Like they just know how to do it. It's mm-hmm. it's in their DNA for mm-hmm. so many different reasons. But Hollis is is the daughter of these Pentecostals who sort of created, in my mind, like a secularized form of yes. the prosperity gospel. Uh, nice. Because she's not overtly Christian about it. Yeah. But it's so, if you know those kinds of forms of rhetoric, you know what to expect. And so prosperity gospelers oftentimes are criticized for doing a sort of victim blamey kind mm-hmm. of thing. Like I'm doing so well and that's because God is blessing me. God's right. not blessing you if you're not doing as well as me. Right. So then she goes on TikTok and do you want to know the whole? Do you know the whole story? Well, I'm 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 just I'm reading from the um from the article here that she had made a comment kind of extemporaneously during the and I'm reading from the New York Times article mm-hmm. about it. Um, she had mentioned just casually someone who her twice weekly housekeeper who cleans the toilets. <laughs> okay, yesterday I was doing a live stream and I mentioned that there's a sweet woman who comes to my house twice a week and cleans. She's my my house cleaner. She cleans the toilets. Someone commented and said, you are privileged AF. To which she replied. And I was like, you're right. I'm super freaking privileged. But also, I worked my ass off to have the money to have someone come twice a week and clean my toilets. And I told her that. And then she said, well, you're unrelatable. (gasps) What is it about me that made you think I want to be relatable? No, sis. Literally everything I do in my life is to live a life that most people can't relate to. Most people won't work this hard. Most people won't get up at 4 a.m. Most people won't fail publicly again and again just to reach the top of the mountain. Literally every woman I admire in history was unrelatable. If my life is relatable to most people, I'm doing it wrong. She added a caption offering examples of people just like her, like Harriet Tubman, oh, Oprah Winfrey, oh, and man. others. Oh, man. So, I mean, need we say more? It, it, <laughs> right there. You know, it's so cringeworthy. And I think that just lets you know how tone deaf that form of reasoning is when it comes to, like, intense suffering. Yeah. <laughs> because 
why you would compare yourself as like a, an affluent white woman so, <laughs> to Harriet Tubman. That is just one thing you do not do. Yeah. And then what happened was. You don't do it. People confronted her don't about it, it. And she was defiant for a while. For like a whole news Come cycle. On. I have to read the next line in the New York Times piece because they use an adjective here that I think is one of my favorites that I've heard recently. <laughs> The author says, now, online critics began to examine Miss Hollis's words, gestures, and history in Zapruderian detail. Oh like the Zapruder film, goodness. the JFK assassination video. Oh, my goodness. Zapruderian. That is pretty I've good. I've got to use that. That's tight. Um, Who wrote that? Um, this, uh, this is uh, Catherine Rosman. Catherine Rosman's Zapruderian. Job. Come on. We 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 toast you. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna shout her out on Twitter for that one. Yeah, yeah, we toast you. That was great. No, it is true. I mean, this story. Good, that's a good one. Okay, all right. I have one. Okay. Of all the people who are likely, this one's just for you. Okay, good. All the people who are likely to believe in Q, mm -hmm. one of your favorite things. <laughs> um, religion. In more ways than one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Religion. Um, religion news service just. Uh, posted a story where they refer to a survey from, um, I forget what the, oh, Public Religion oh, Research Institute. I saw this. PRRI. I saw this. Alert. You did? Ding, the game. Ding, ding, that ding. This is like a, it's either a penalty or a reward. I think it should be a penalty for choosing one I chose. Um, actually, no, it's not a penalty though. I didn't choose it, but I saw this one. Okay, but, but continue saw, to read it. Yeah, saw. yeah, yeah. I like this a new one. new survey reports that white evangelicals, Hispanic Protestants, and members of the Church of Christ of Jesus or Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, yep. are the most likely to believe in the QAnon conspiracy theory. Now, who, now na, na, say the groups again who are most likely. People from the Church White of Christ. White evangelicals. White evangelicals are number one there. Okay, I just want to make sure that was in there. Oh, yeah, for sure. Have to be, right? Hispanic Protestants. Okay. That's These are the categories they use. Yeah. And, of course, we could question how yeah. they establish these categories. Right. And members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a.k.a. Mormons. Fascinating. Well, you know, starting with, with Mormons or, or members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, yes. a group that has been... And, you know, in some cases, there, there were massacres against Mormons in the West. Very tragic oh, yeah, stories. Yeah. Uh -huh. I mean, this is a group that They're has a persecuted a, religious This group. is a persecuted religious group. So it has a history of like, let's just say maybe the government is not the most trustworthy thing in your life. Certainly. But there's a religious history there. And so that I'm I'm saying, OK, that one you could you could make sense of it that way. Do you think? Well, yeah. And also uh, I second that wholeheartedly. And also um, the Latter-day Saints have a long history of promoting religious freedom because of those mm, very things because mm -hmm. they're persecuted for their religious practices and beliefs mm -hmm. and so historically they have a track record mm -hmm. of supporting what most people would think of as fringe religious yeah, yeah. ideas so i could kind of see that i appreciate that about them mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um i don't understand I, I do not know about protestant hispanics um I don't know what, you know, we're, of course, many, many Hispanics in the United States are Christians, many are Catholic, so they're narrowing it down there. Yeah. I don't know what to make of that. Well, it's interesting to me. Um, I'm building up to white evangelicals here, of course. But. Of course, that's the, that's the <laughs> <laughs> well, because, I mean, you have to build up to white evangelicals because by far that's the largest group that they're well, talking about. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, it's a group. It's, of course, it's a group that's been in power and is experiencing what I believe sociologists of at least a past generation called a certain kind of deprivation or relative deprivation. Mm -hmm. As we can talk, as we can, as we could chat 
we could chat about this topic with, say, Rachel Hollis about yeah, yeah, what yeah. it feels like to have yeah. relative deprivation. And can it's, I? Yeah, go ahead. Well, in my mind, it's like saying if you're used to a hundred percent of the pie, yep. having ninety nine point nine percent of the pie. It's a loss. Feels like a huge. No, that's right. Back a few episodes ago, in an episode called "The Review," go back yes. and listen to that, O listener. We talk about this issue of the negativity, a bias toward negativity. Sure. We just have a bias toward negative information. Um, college professors have this, and evals. You know, if you have a business and you have eighty-five positive reviews on Yelp or Google reviews, but you have two negative or a teaching eval, yeah, you stay yes. up at night thinking about the negative. Mm-hmm. If you th- if you think you're supposed to be paid a hundred thousand for a job, but they offer you eighty, you walk away totally disgusted. But if you thought you were going to make forty and they offer you fifty, you won the day. Right, right, right. Like this is just, and this is for you youngins out there who maybe don't know the the psychology of happiness. It's all about expectations. In other words, set the bar low. Want less. Want yeah. less. Set the bar low. It's the most un-American. That's the statement. way to do it. And this is why we're unhappy people. But um, evangelicals have had the white evangelicals have had the bar set very high. Um, we have a very good track record of, you know, um, having power, having stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you lose some of it, which evangelicals have certainly lost ground in, in, in many respects. Not a lot of ground, mm-hmm. but like you said, even 99.9%. So anyway, I'm, I'm putting this in the deprivation theory of conspiracy belief that, you know, and then you just have... You know, you just have a, a potpourri here of like also Americans and also, you know, Americans like conspiracies too. And, you know. Well, here's one interesting further down in the story. It says researchers noted media consumption habits oh. were, quote, by far the strongest independent <laughs> predictor right. of QAnon belief. And I think that goes a long way to say totally. probably a lot of those folks in that, that group of people that PRRI identified are consuming a lot of the same news. Namely, they note One American News Network and Newsmax. They were, were yeah. people who watched that, that a lot were nine times more likely to be QAnon believers. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, and there's, also, there's also this political thing. I mean, the QAnon thing is an anti-liberal, anti-Democrat, anti-Hillary Clinton, you know, kind of thing. Right. So it's like, if you're already in that group, you're going to be predisposed to getting into it. Just rings all the bells. And so here we go again with that. You know, the news thing was, it, it makes perfect sense to me. And that's the most commonsensical explanation, I think, for mm-hmm. this group of people. I was sort of hoping for something, some sort of like way out there outlier, mm-hmm. you know, a group of people who would be really into QAnon. But it yeah. seemed like a pretty... It, no it surprises. Seems, yeah, yeah. No surprise right. there. No surprise there. What do you have? Okay. Um, this one I also found on, on Medium. I'm from an author named Isaiah McCall here. Yeah. The headline is, quote, why there's a secret tiny wire above Manhattan. It's 18 miles long, yet no one knows about it. I found this to be so fascinating. Um, Okay, let's let's get into let's get into scripture here. Let's get into the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. Secret wire. Now, you know that one of the Ten Commandments and probably the religiously literate out there will know <laughs> that one of the Ten Commandments is that on the seventh day, you're supposed to do what? Quiz. Rest. Rest. Don't work. Yeah. However, here's the problem with work. Uh, I remember I remember encountering this problem even as an undergrad and, and just being blown away, you know, by like just the complexity of it. Like, well, if you say you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, you have to define what work is. Right, right. Is, is, it, is, is breathing work? Is talking to someone work? Is working, you know, as the Mishnah begins one of its sections on the Sabbath, is work if you're a tailor, a sewer of clothes. Right. And you're carrying a needle in your pocket, is that work? 
sounds like that could be work, but it's not a, it's, it wouldn't be work for a person who's not a tailor maybe to carry a needle in their pocket because that's not work for them. You know, so, okay. So it gets, can get complicated, right? Right. Now, um, this is super fascinating. Um, this wire, this 18 mile translucent wire above Manhattan, which I guess you can see if you try to squint really hard and you probably won't find it. You have to know where to look. It's called an Eruv, which I think is from the Hebrew word Arav, which means to go over. Uh-huh. Um, it costs $100,000 a year to maintain it. Whoa. And, and without it, thousands of Jews wouldn't be able to live in the city. I'm quoting the article. <gasps> what does it mean? Okay, here was the issue. Um, this issue about what constitute, constitutes work yeah. ended up being about, well... Okay, can you are there certain things you can do in your household that you couldn't do outside uh-huh. of your household? Um, so for instance, I'm reading from the article, Jewish law allows you to bypass um, certain parts of rules like, you know, according to the Talmud, there are 39 things you can't do, like planting flowers, uh-huh. um, picking small bones from fish, cooking or baking, carrying anything, including groceries, books, keys, even children. So Jewish law, however, allows you to bypass this part of the rule by allowing Jewish people to carry items inside of private places like their homes. Okay. This amendment would later extend to small towns as well. I'm reading from the article and wait for the reveal. It was agreed upon that building a wall around a town called an roof would transform it into a private sector. So the head rabbis of the Jewish community decided that it was time to make an evolution to this roof and make a symbolic roof around parts of New York City so people could technically be inside of their private area and carry things. That is so cool. So the wire, the Eruv, um, does that. And there's this whole article about it. And it's super fascinating. fascinating. Care to comment? Okay, I do care to comment. Yeah. Because my spouse right now is reading the sociological historical classic Bowling Alone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The loss of civic, like, organizations and things that keep people together. Yeah, excellent. I would, in my field, it's just a classic Classic. in my field. Great, great book in a lot of ways. Anyway, so we were talking about, because one of the things that Putnam argues is that... urban life and now his book is is older now it's Mm -hmm. decades old so Mm -hmm. i think that there'd probably be a lot of counter arguments that you could make to this but that urban life decreases social cohesion Mm -hmm. but smaller towns have like higher participation in civic life sure i could see it and for a lot of different reasons right and of course that Religion scholars are really interested in that because religious movements tend to be like a social cohesion force. So when you were telling me about that story, I was thinking about what a kind of innovative way Mm -hmm. of creating the kind of social cohesion that you would need Mm -hmm. for a, a religious community or any community to survive in like one of the biggest and most diverse cities in the world. That was my, yeah, my thought of that is like, what a, fascinating way and also what an innovative way of maintaining an old community i know what do you think oh totally agreed and uh i'm looking at some final thoughts in the article quote new york isn't the only metropolis within a roof you can find them in new jersey atlanta st louis los angeles baltimore dallas and numerous other cities in fact there are more than 200 of these and you know the article goes into a little bit about the debate like is it you know, is that is that kind of ridiculous to think of an area like that? Well, no, but I think it's that kind of imaginary space, which is not imaginary, which becomes real, that makes a sacred place what it is and determines, you know, the, the sacred from the profane and what is holy and what is lawful and what is not. And that's how it is. Well, I yeah, I think it's actually a really clever way of creating the kind of space that 
I, if if the the last year has taught us anything, that we need these spaces to survive. That's right. It's well, and it's it's and that's what that's what everyone does. If you live in a city, if you live in New York City, I mean, I've never lived in a city like that. I have no, lived in a Boston I can't even suburb. Imagine. I've lived in a Boston suburb though, and I do get that city person life for five mm-hmm. years during my PhD program. And the thing is, you do develop a kind of village within your city. Mm-hmm. places that you go a little circuit of places and that does become your village and so to define your city as this giant place when in fact really your town your place like is going to be much smaller it's making that a reality so i, I love it i'm all for it i'm, I'm in, favor. It. Favor. <laughs> I'm in favor. favor for sure for favor sure. of the roof everybody has an a roof of us of, of sorts you know if you live in a big city yeah. it might not be designated by an 18 mile nearly invisible wire running above the town but it's gonna it's gonna be something. Yeah, I like that. Okay. I'm all for it. All right. Okay, here's You're one. Up. This is for you. Okay. I thought of you for sure. Yay. News headline from NBC News. Mm-hmm. How pop culture set the stage for the coming UFO report oh, for better or for worse. I love it so much. I knew you would love this. Okay, wait, let me read you the first couple of things that yep. I want your comment. Go for it. The US government is finally starting to publicly acknowledge. UFOs. The creator of the X-Files has been waiting for this moment for decades. It's something I've been interested in for a long time. So to see the equivalent of front page news is a delight, Chris Carter said in a phone conversation this week. Care to comment? I care to comment. Friends, don't miss this one fact. The United States government, high level (laughs) people at the Pentagon are openly admitting on the news that they that Navy pilots have seen UFOs like off the coast of Virginia in one case. And I quote, every day for a couple of years. These are these are I mean, you know, aircraft, uh, Air Force planes have pretty sophisticated equipment. Pilots are professional observers of things in the sky. Mm -hmm. It's some of these things can be explained, but some of them cannot. Mm -hmm. Some of these things are moving at like just multi hypersonic speeds beyond any speed that anything that we have can go, even missiles. And they will move across the sky and then stop or rotate or plunge into the sea or come out again. And they Mm -hmm. haven't even released all of the sightings and the things. And here's the thing that I think is is super weird about it, though. They're just being so honest about it. And they're saying, we, well, of course, oh, are they being honest about it? Maybe. It could be that they're not being honest about it. But what they're saying is they're saying, yes, it's true. And we've been studying this and we've been documenting we just don't know what these are. And the three options, here are the three options that have been floated in the communities, okay? <laughs> I Option number have. one is that it is, it is a United States technology. It's something that we have that we're playing around with. And maybe through, the, maybe through these UFO leaks, we're trying to show other countries like, mm-hmm. hey, FYI, mm-hmm. we have things like that are beyond anything that you've ever seen. Don't even think about it. However... Experts say, no, the United States doesn't have anything like this. They would not be so flummoxed about it. That would be a really arcane, weird strategy if it were so. Uh So forget that. B, these are things from another country, probably China, maybe Russia. And they are they are like a light year ahead of us Uh militarily and so on. And it is bad news bears for us because and they're toying with us with these things. I can't see that one being real, though. I just I don't. Like our military is so much bigger. I just don't think so. I think that you can just rule that one out. We don't have things that can travel at like 30,000 miles an hour and and stop in midair and stuff. It just, we don't have things like that. But it would kind of make sense of maybe why they're always like around Air Force bases and things like that. Because like that's what you do. You'd kind of like toy with it. If they were some kind of weird drone or something. Option number three. What? Is that it's... 
is that it's what we would call a UFO. There are other weirder options, though, I think you could come up with other than like aliens. Yeah. Like you could like you could start getting into like mystical stuff. Like what if there's a world that overlaps with our world but cannot be seen by our world except in certain times. But it's not extraterrestrial. It's right here. But it has different laws. And oh, I like that one. And sometimes it slips through the boundaries of what we call our consciousness and reality. Like Fringe, like the show Fringe. Yeah, and so it, it, it could be like something like that. Like to say you don't know is is really not to say a lot, but in a way, it's to leave open all these bizarre possibilities. So love it. I love it too. <laughs> the idea is they're leaking them slowly. They're leaking these stories in very calculated ways, like during the COVID year, for example, because mm -hmm. they're preparing mm -hmm. for the big reveal and they don't know how to tell us and they don't want us to freak out. And actually, it's going really well. People aren't really freaking out. People are like, oh, wow. No, yeah. I, I'm not as freaked out as I would have thought I would be because I'm like, whatever, coronavirus, yeah. et cetera. Like, oh, it, things like this have been kind of trickling out for a while. Yep. We know it's real. Okay, okay, okay. Yep. There's a congressional report that's supposed to be coming out. I predict we learned very little from it. Um, but you Yeah, know, those bureaucratic things always, they, they sound more exciting than they're going to be. Clearly, this is going in a direction, though. I'm excited for and you. And we're going to be here for Mostly it. Mostly for you. You know, it's heartwarming. I'm glad you get to watch. It's like it's like you're watching you're watching your child open like totally. a, a new like car for Christmas. I'm like, do you like it? Okay, um, and, and I realize we are gonna have yep. to hit lightning round yep. at some point lightning here, round. but let's do it. oh, you want to start lightning round now? Well, I don't okay, know. let's do it. Lightning round. Okay. Your turn. Meet the nun who wants you to remember you will I die. I love this story. Suffering and death are facts ding, ding, of life. Ding, 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 ding. Quote, everyone dies, their bodies rot, and every face becomes a skull. This is about um, Sister Teresa Alethea Noble, who's kind of made a big deal about the memento mori practice. Remember that you will die. Mm -hmm. And has a lot of skull-like stuff and is doing like a lot of goth skull stuff as um, as a nun. And you've, you've seen this story. I absolutely love it. From and New York Times. Um, I have seen that story, and I want to say it was Ruth written Graham. by Ruth Graham. Ruth Graham is was it? one of my favorites. Excellent. Ruth Graham Excellent. was my favorite. We love Ruth Graham yep. here. We're fans. Um, yeah, no. Um, I think this story is so fascinating on so many levels, and um, it it caused me to learn about the order. I think it's the Order of St. Paul, mm -hmm. um, which I'm Googling it just to make sure, mm -hmm. which is, no, is that right? I can't remember. Basically, it's an order that is made to um yeah before she entered daughters of saint paul daughters of saint daughters paul. of saint yeah. paul convent um mm -hmm. to basically a, an order that exists to promote roman catholic um theology mm -hmm. through media which mm -hmm. was fascinating to me mm -hmm. that's not the most interesting thing about that story but that mm -hmm. was one of the things that i kind of went down a rabbit hole on that what is your what are your i thought you would like that because it's so like punk oh yeah it's the punkest thing that you can do. Um, yeah. And I, and I think that the kind of the, the very simple, you know, religious explanation for it, you know, beyond the maybe sensationalism of the skull imagery is just, you know, she's saying, quote, my life is going to end. I have a limited amount of time. We, na it. we naturally tend to think our lives as kind of continuing and continuing. It's just not true. Memento mori. Where am I headed? Where do I want to end up? Well, I work with, you know? I mean, I work with, I'm married to someone who. <laughs> Very telling comment right there. We, we, we do. We're we not have, editing that out. That was perfect. We are co-laborers <laughs> because we have two young children and we yeah, both have jobs. Yeah. Um, but I always ask him about stories about that because yeah. my I'm always interested in someone who spends time with people who are dying and who die. Mm -hmm. um, what his takeaway with that would be. And mm -hmm. he like immediately was like, I love it. 
because he works with people who have not considered their mortality at all and then are just like smacked in the face by it and how difficult that is. And so he's like, no, I, I definitely think this is good for people. To okay. think about that. We got to get more lightning with this lightning. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, how about, one. okay, just just, no, no, just dump on me. No, I'm saying dump oh. on me the rest that you have. Okay. Just quickly, and I'll try to, you know, I'll, I'll just give like the quickest take, and then I'll dump on you the rest that okay. I have, and you give the quickest take. Okay, Christianity Today is coming out with a podcast about the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Oh! Pastor Mark Driscoll. Comment is, I'm definitely listening. Oh, we got to do a whole thing oh, on it. Oh, there's like a mini series on just that. Um, Other one is, um, I'm calling this one Proud to be an American. Because the King James saves God bless the USA Bible, basically a Bible made on Lee Greenwood's classic God bless the USA. Uh, I don't like specialty Bibles. Boo. Thumbs down. (laughs) I thought you'd be into it. I'm into it. I'm into the story, but not what they're doing. This one is tangentially religious. This is the last one I have, Mm -hmm. which is because I just want to hear your comment on this latest news story Mm -hmm. about the prospect. This is from NPR. Why a lab in Wuhan is closer is worth a closer look as a possible source of the pandemic. Talks about some of the conspiracy oh. theories, early conspiracy theories about the coronavirus. Care to comment? I do. I have an article about this. That I was you do? Co- okay. BBC, China hits back as U.S. revisits oh, Wuhan lab fast. leak theory. We were both thinking about it. Yeah, this no, is a religious story a, for sure. It's a great conspiracy that's worth pursuing. It's it's absolutely everything that we need to be thinking about. Okay, <laughs> okay All right. your turn. That's it. Okay. This is from um, a blog site. Uh, this is from Medium. It's, it's from Belover. Okay. Quote, when evangelicals said, quote, Dungeons and Dragons killed kids. Ah. The true story of a 1980s religious obsession. Oh, I, I would love to read that story. Yes. Another one. When? Atheist against CE as opposed to AD oh, and BC. Because CE still designates the time that um, common era, yeah. Common era Jesus was born. So you don't get away from it. Actually, I would like to hear that argument. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm thumbs up on wanting to read that. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. Because, well. yeah, I like when atheists, like, problematize the kind of still very Christian ways of looking at the world. I, you know, th- there it is. Um, I flagged this one. Microsoft, this is from the BBC. Microsoft president, Orwell's 1984 could happen in 2024. <gasps> that's, he thinks that that's where AI is going, and it's, it's, it's on its way. Oh, really? We could have a big brother kind of a thing. So it's an AI thing. Interesting. Um, also, okay, this one, religion, religion, religion news service survey, young, diverse generation of evangelicals shows growing ambivalence toward Israel. Oh, now is, that is interesting. Among we a, need to talk about that. Among a racially diverse subset of young evangelicals, 42% said they supported neither Israel nor Palestinians regarding conflict in the region, a marked shift from previous years. Well, I think we need to do a whole episode on that because I've been reading one of the original texts that created the form of Zionism mm-hmm. that most people associate with mm-hmm. white evangelicalism, mm-hmm. Hal, Lins- Hal Lindsey's late great planet earth. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that's a really key religion story mm-hmm. because it, I wonder, I, I sort of wonder, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. If this is a decrease in premillennial dispensationalism. Yeah, no, it's clearly not as popular. Yeah. I mean, if it signals that, like those attitudes, what do you think? Totally. I mean, it's, you know, and this is going to be, it it will have national policy, you know, military ramifications as we come forward. Okay. Last one. Okay. Quote, it's the Wall Street Journal. Quote, God told me to put money into Hertz. Small investors are winning big again. 
Spring resurgence in so-called meme stocks wow. is latest triumph for retail traders long derided as dumb money. So you know about this like phenomenon that's been going on yeah, where the Robin Hood or Yeah, it's or... it's it's basically people are ganging up on social media to promote certain stocks that are maybe not that valuable inherently, but just kind of as a game. And if you kind of get in and out at the right time, you can make a lot of money. But yeah. I, I this this headline caught me because you know it was like God told me to do it. Put the money in. So you could, you know, it's a it's a form of gambling. It's a kind of gambling. Um, but it's a social kind of gambling, and according to the people who are doing it, it looks kind of fun. The motto is, you know, don't uh, don't invest anything you can't afford to lose, which is a gambling motto, of course, as well. Don't hey. don't gamble with anything you can't afford to lose. This and <laughs> this reminds me of like one of my dad. My dad, who was a pastor, had really great like quippy kind of one-liners about things. Yeah. And I remember I was going to go to Las Vegas, and my dad was like, oh. "Remember." They don't build those casinos off of winners. That's exactly true. <laughs> Your dad, once thanks, again, dad. becomes the guru of our show. Total guru. Hey, thanks for listening, weirdos. We will normalize weirdness. Uh, it might not be weird anymore. Oh, yes, it will. For extras on subjects covered in this episode and other related jokes, don't forget to follow us on the socials and visit our website, weirdreligion.com. We're doing our own production these days and some of our own musical stylings, but our official theme music is still, as always, by Cassie Blum. And our album artwork is by John Williams. When you podcast, podcast with us. Bye. That's great. <laughs>